back. Hello, Emily. How are you? <laughs> Good evening, Stuart. Good to see you. <laughs> this is like the best we've done in months at this podcast. Yeah, we've got two in the same like three week period. It's <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah, we were really sucking for a while there. Yeah, I mean, even what's weird is in the at the most like intense parts of lockdown when we were living together, it was like we were churning out less of these and now like things are slowly kind of coming back to normal like i'm going into work like there's more like life stuff happening but we're actually doing more of this but i think that's kind of the nature of how productivity works you know what i mean like i think when it's a lull when it's when there's not a lot going on you're not as productive and when there's more going on in your life you're like i don't know you're able to fill it with more stuff does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And it's also harder to designate certain times for certain activities when you're doing the same thing every day, day in and day out. You're just yeah. like, all right, well, I roll out of bed, roll into the kitchen, roll into the office. or yep. And by office, I mean like your own home office. And then yeah. you're pretty much just bouncing between those three rooms for yeah. months straight. And it's yeah. like we need to actually carve out time. And back in the day, we used to be like, well... This night's for practice. This night's for podcasting, and it yeah. used to be more structured. And now it's just very well. Now it's like, what? What day is it? Yeah. <laughs> what totally. is it? A, is it a weekend? Like, yeah. Even um, the weekends aren't special. You're like the weekends. Suck. I guess we should probably drink a little bit. It's Friday. They're or so whatever, they're you know? so depressing because like I'll work hard all week, and I've been going in like three days a week into work, and which is actually nice. I actually like the breakup of going in. Um, but yeah, then the weekends come, and it's like. It's like, ooh, I worked for the weekend, and the, you, we can't do anything. Yeah, there's so nothing there's to do. no. But you know, things are changing. You're doing something fun this uh, weekend, though. Yeah, Tommy got a last minute uh, um, offer from his work to go to Reno for the day. Yeah, he d- he uh, produces a MMA podcast, which yes. is really cool. Um, we'll shout him out. Bay, Bay Area Bay Combat. Area Combat. Shout him out. Mm-hmm. So he does sound and video production for them, which is so cool. I'm so proud of him. And he's doing the same thing for the city of Concord, which is yeah. fun. Um, so he's taking those skills he's been building on. I mean, he got a AA in audio engineering in like, you know, 2005. And Alcoholics Anonymous. 2006. Yeah, the AA is, <laughs> oh my God, what does it stand for? Um, associates. Associ- de- I have no associates idea. Associates degree. It's not associates <laughs> degree. Uh, as- anyway, um, <laughs> we got BA, so we no don't big know. Deal. Um, no big deal. So he, <laughs> so he's now like finally, you know, has a job that's that he's passionate about, like the actual nature of the work, which I'm really just happy to see for him. Yeah, and and one thing about at least Alante and I are, we're really big into MMA and we've been big into it for a while now. And I always thought Tom would be into it because he used to do like the whole wrestling thing in high school. He was and, big into wrestling. And big into school, wrestling. Yeah. And you think... And obviously like WWF yeah, before yeah. it was WWE. Yeah. And so you'd I'd assume that he'd be into it and um, he's just starting to get more and more into it now too, which oh, is cool for Alante and I because yeah. it gives us more common ground. Yeah, he's been watching and listening to these podcasts as he's recording them. And then we go on, we go on a walk every day, at least every day. And he's like talking about it. And I kind of like my brain, like kind of like zooms out a little. Cause I don't know what he's talking yeah. about. You know, it's like you guys talking about football. I'm like, uh, you lost me or <laughs> our brother talking about physics. It's like, I, I follow him for a while and I'm like really trying. And then I'm like, okay, you lost me with a couple lingo. And now I'm, now I'm like, do 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 in my head. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I think the older I get, the more like ADD I actually realize I am. Because when I was Same. younger, I didn't think about like spacing out or like not paying attention. Yeah. But now it's like so easy, or not easy. It, I just notice myself doing it where someone will be talking about something that I probably don't really. <laughs> Care about, about which sounds kind of fucked up to say, I guess, but you know they're talking about something, and then next thing you know, you're like drifting off, thinking about whatever. And oh, this this happened to me the other day. Tom and I were on our walk, and we ran into someone we kind of know, and we had like a quick, you know, ten feet away from each other, masked chat. And Tom and this person were like kind of nerding out on some stuff, and I was just completely spacing out. Like I was maybe listening for like forty seconds, and then I was like, no. And then I'm like looking at the squirrels and shit. So yeah, I, I hear you. Um, I feel the same. That's same great. exact way. Yeah, that's great that you guys still get to go out and like walk a lot. Amber and I haven't been able to. She's been a uh, swamped at work. So oh, it's and I hurt yeah. my foot recently. I've been, so yeah, I've been trying to take tough. advantage of like the end of this more work from home. On on the on the attention note, this has really helped me. I found something really cool um you know how people listen to like static i think you do when they sleep i listen to the sounds of a thunderstorm right so i found this podcast oh shit i gotta shout it out because it's like i literally listen to this same episode of it every day um i was trying to listen to it to sleep i can't really listen to headphones while i sleep so that doesn't work for me yeah there's a podcast called deep sleep sounds and i found an episode that's like three hours it's called rainy day coffee shop so it's like it sounds like you're in a coffee shop. It's got like faint classical music and then it's got like people kind of chattering and then it's got like clanking of like trays and stuff and then has rain. And it's like, I put my AirPods in and I do noise cancellation and I listen to that and I feel like I'm working in a coffee shop and I'm just like, it's like Adderall. Like I just start, I just start, yeah, I just start focusing on my work. Oh, I thought you were saying you're using it to sleep. No, no, no. Very much the opposite. I tried to use it to sleep and I don't, I can't sleep with headphones in. I just can't do it. And I can't have a speaker because Tom will be like, what, what is that? Um, But I started using it when I'm like trying to do like really boring data work. Because in the beginning of working from home, I was like watching TV shows. Like I had to entertain my brain when I was doing boring stuff. So I was like watching TV, but then like that just didn't work. Uh, So now I just have this like weird two hours of like coffee shop background noise and like yeah. I focus it's awesome that's crazy I didn't even think about that it's a weird brain thing it's uh, our uncle Gabriel Gabriel said about this once he's like he's like I listen I like to listen to music when I'm working because it entertains the bored part of my brain like that part of my brain goes oh there's some sound to listen to and then the other part can focus and I I don't know how that really translates but I always liked that sort of thought of it it's like part of my brain needs to be entertained by something so the yeah. other part can work and it's a it's a weird balance too. You have to mm-hmm. follow because sometimes it, you get overstimulated. Like I'll listen to a podcast and I'll like start focusing too much on the podcast exactly. rather than the actual that's, task that I'm trying yep, to do. That's what happened to me with watching like the Great British Baking Show. I'm like, oh, I can just kind of half watch it, but then I would just get sucked into that, yeah. and then I'm not doing my dad anymore. So so now you're just listening to now I'm just listening cups to cups of rattling. Yeah, and- dude, I <laughs> am telling you, it is like life changing for me. It's like a drug. I love it. So whatever works oh, for wow. people, you know, it's like working from home's tough. There's a lot of cats jumping around and. You yeah, know. I've kind of realized that our house is just a big, like, yelling at cats. Well, not yelling, <laughs> but, like, telling them not to do stuff. I realize mm. it's just constantly telling cats not to do stuff. It's what our life is now. It's why I try to even that out with, like, hugging them and holding them and going, we love you and care about you, but yeah. sometimes we're upset with you. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I think the cats just look at me they're like, the angry white man, like, just He's no, yelling don't again. Do don't do that. Bird. <laughs> Four cats and a dog. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the way we live. And <laughs> the five, way we are. Five people, four cats and a dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I 
I like our little home. It's a good home. And we all have kind of carved out our own little niches, so we don't really step on each other's toes too much, which is easy to do. Because, again, it's kind of like... It's a big house, When you have friendships and family relationships, it's kind of like what I was saying about, you know, setting up practice or setting up Mm -hmm. podcasting time is you can't be just like constantly interacting because then you never get the downtime. You right. Know? You need that so downtime. you have to have those kind of boundaries too, where you're like, well, this is kind of me time right now. And I like, I'm in the kitchen, but I have my AirPods in. Right. And like people kind of know like, Oh, I'm just doing my own thing too. Yeah. And, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely working out for well, us. Well, the thing that I loved about having roommates, like when I was in Berkeley is that you sort of, I t- Tom and I were talking about this the other day. You know, when it was just the two of us being married, living together for a long time, which I love, but you know, you, you can kind of fall into some just like really like lazy habits or you can kind of just be in a bad mood all day or whatever. And when you have other people living with you, you're kind of on your best behavior. You're like a little more aware of yourself. But then on top of that, like when I was in Berkeley, all my roommates would be working out. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'll work out. Or like they'd go on a run. So I'm like, I guess I should go on a run. So it's almost like a little inspiring too. And I noticed that living here, you know, it's like, oh, like it's beautiful out, you know, everyone's doing stuff and now I will too. Everyone's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of like a, feels like a community inspiration. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think you get it. Yeah. But it, it kind of, it gives you a little more accountability to, I don't know. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get you, and we should uh, f- probably schedule like a weekly podcasting time so we can do this more often. Mm-hmm. And when so to kind of segue into what we're talking about today, you came up to me, and I actually heard this record through the song "Friendship" right. that we cover, and I always thought it was a Chris Stapleton track. Yeah, always thought because that was when I first heard it. Is when he came out, and with he does a great. From a room volume, great cover two. of it, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's an incredible song. The Chris Stapleton version's incredible, and I was like, I just assumed he wrote it. And we've always said it like, oh, this is a Chris Stapleton song, blah 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 mm-hmm. blah. Funny, it's not Stapleton, but it's pop staples, yeah. And um, you then you went into this record and you actually kind of listened I to the whole thing and did text, a deep dive. I think I texted you a while ago and was like, oh, is this a cover of the original? I sent you Pop's Staples version of it. Because it came up on my Spotify and I was like, oh yeah. shit, this is Friendship. And I still wasn't really sure. And then I looked at this record, Don't Lose This, and Friendship is on that. And it was from 2015. So I was like, okay, you know, he recorded this in 2015. And then I looked up his Wikipedia and he passed away in 2000. So I was like, oh, like, it's a, hmm, the plot thickens. Yeah. So then I went on this deep dive because I'm, first of all, I'm kind of obsessed with like posthumous anything, like posthumous albums, posthumous. Yeah. Um, books that are published, uh, letters, stuff movies. like that. Yeah, it's just cool to see, you know, that somebody passed away and other people, it's a gorgeous community thing, like other people cared enough to go, oh, like this, they were making this thing, they didn't get to finish it, we have to finish it. Yeah. And beyond just having to finish it, we have to finish it like to the utmost like quality of how yeah. it would have been and like think about like the style and like all this. Like, so I'm just, I'm so fascinated by posthumous anything i think that's so cool yeah, so i just went on this deep dive and then realized that pops i don't know much about pop staples besides like us seeing him in the uh last waltz yeah and being like he's the best singer on the stage <laughs> like, <laughs> he has the he has the shit. like most honest voice and i love how he's so reserved he almost looks like embarrassed to be there yeah like the way that he is and how humble and reserved he is yeah. you can tell he's like 
oh man like yeah he almost has like this quiet very reservation and like dignity about him yeah where you can tell there's a lot of humility and especially in that performance Mm -hmm. and i really love his uh verse in that in that song it's um, my favorite for sure. It's probably my he favorite. He does the Miss Moses, right? Yeah, this is probably my favorite performance of that song um, out of any I've it's heard. The, it's, the, it's the best. Yeah, yeah it's the absolute it's best. But um, So what we're going to do today is talk about pop staples mm-hmm. and the staple singers and then kind of get a little bit more into this record. But unfortunately, there's not a ton of concrete information about this record. It's very uh, sparse, just like the record itself. Um, So we'll get mostly into, I think, his history, and then we'll talk a little bit about the record. Which which also... Like his Wikipedia page is like two, three paragraphs. Like, yeah. so I had to dig into some other, and I'll I'll name drop them, but to try to figure out his kind of yeah, I use uh, I use Premier Guitar, I use NPR, and a few other sources, of course, Wikipedia. Oh, I use Premier Guitar too. Yeah, it was really <gasps> cool because I was trying to look up what was, we're probably in the same article. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get into it. I was I wanted to see specifically what kind of gear he was using, um, because he is kind of a. Uh, an understated legend when it comes mm-hmm. to pioneering guitar sounds. And like I said, we'll get all into it. So why don't you just kick us off? Um, so yeah, I used arts.gov, popstaples.com. And then there's this really cool audio interview. It's like two hours long. Uh, and it's at rhuli.org. And it's an interview with the Staples singers from 1963, but it's mostly with pops. So I'm going to kick it off with a quote by Michael Ross of Premier Guitar. And I hope I'm not stealing your quote because we have the same article. Damn you. Um, It's like a five page article. It's great. He says, whenever you hear country blues inflected guitar played through an amp with, okay. Tremolo. Tremolo. You're hearing a sound descended from singer, composer, guitarist, Pops Staples. Pops Staples. Best known as the leader of a family gospel group, the Staples Singers. His guitar style influenced and inspired John Fogarty, Bonnie Raitt, Ry Cooter, and countless others. The dark mystery of his instrument's wavy sound has become part of the fabric of American music. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about his guitar is there's there is some like legendary mystique to it. Um he used to tune his guitar down similarly to the way we do yeah um we he famously tuned it to e flat so everything's a little darker a little lower and then he also tuned it to d as well so everything's even lower than e flat think about it alphabetically if you're not musically inclined um generally guitars are tuned to e and then e flat is a half step below that and, and then d is a half step even below that so he did a lot of these kind of blues inspired um tunings these darker tunings and sometimes there are some tunings uh that we aren't even quite sure what exactly he was doing that's yeah the mystery of it yeah the mystery of it and he did pioneer the tremolo sound and uh the tremolo sound think about it explain that yeah so (laughs) think about it like this um a vibrato is easy to think about it's like, oh, right? It's okay. like, and that was a pretty shitty vibrato, but you get the idea. It's the yeah. pitch going. Um, it's the pitch shaking up and down. So <laughs> maybe your, you know, your pitch is getting a little sharp and then even again or a little flat it's and like even shaking again. It it's shaking the pitch. Yeah, it's like rattling it in my head is rattling your exactly. voice. Like, yeah. And what a tremolo is, is it's shaking the volume of it. So oh, instead of the pitch, the yeah. pitch stays the same. The volume is what changes. So um, oh, imagine, you know, plugging in a guitar, 
strumming it and then quickly turning up and down the volume knob. And that's kind of what it is. And generally they go at a rhythm too. So you can you can pick the speed of the oscillation of the tremolo. So it'll go like or it can go like So it almost develops like a certain um uh beat to it almost when you're playing. So it gives it its own texture Rhythm, te- and tempo. And, and one cool thing that I thought was really cool after learning about Pop Staples is the friendship that Chris Stapleton does. Yeah. He uses tremolo on his guitar during oh, that. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. a nice little, so like, it's a little nod. Yeah, it's a little nod to Pop Staples. Yeah. There's a couple people nodding to him, I feel like. I'll, I'll, um, anyway, so. So let me just read we'll real quick. Off. Oh, no, you go. Sorry, you one go. more thing about you go. Uh, tremolo. Uh, tremolo is wavering. Uh, this is by a quote by Jeff Tweedy. Tremolo is wavering the volume of a note as opposed to the pitch of it, vibrato, or complement a pre-existing tempo. It adds a mysterious element to the notes and chords being played, but it also keeps a steady rhythm going. And that was in the NPR interview that he uh, said you. That. I was going to say you explained that really well. I thought. Well, thank you. Well, I, I've been reading this word for like the last couple hours, and now I finally know what it means. I didn't I bother get, to Google it. Let me just get into uh, the guitar really quick. Do it. Sorry, just go I, for I, it. I figured no, we were already fine. here. Well, we might as well talk about Do it. Do it. So he played a, a Fender guitar generally throughout his whole mm-hmm. career. It was a jazz I master, the same thing, yeah. Telecaster, um, Stratocaster. Yeah. I think the most famous one he played was like a Rosewood Telecaster, I want to say. And he Sounds ended nice. up... Um, I think Mavis ended up giving that guitar to Marty Stewart, who's like a famous country yeah. singer and great guitar player who used to idolize Pops. After Pops passed. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah. And so he got the guitar and he said, oh, it was like being handed Excalibur. <laughs> like Aww. It was a really cool thing. He's like, I keep it tuned to E flat for Pops. And he plays it for like all the gospel what tunes. What an honor. Gosh. And um, here's, how, uh, here's how Marty Stewart uh, described his guitar playing. It's like trying to tell somebody about the Grand Canyon if they've never been there or explain a dream you had last night. Sometimes when you can't analyze something, the, the best thing you can do is to shut up and let it entertain and inspire you. And I thought, yeah, it's likely that he, I love because that usually Fender amps now are, equ- are equipped with like this tremolo uh, button you can press and then mm-hmm. change the speed of it. Hmm. And um, I think you can also change like how intense it is, like if it's like really in your face or if it's a little more subtle. Yeah. And um, but that wasn't um, put into guitars at the time that he started. So. The the guy on Premier Guitar uh, hypothesized that it was a DeArmond 601 tremolo unit, and that was uh, available in 1948. So oh, Pops that's, was that's one of the first guys. That's when he started the Staple Singers, yeah. Yeah, and he had a bunch of great quotes. Like when he uh, visited uh, Marty Stewart, and I think it was in Nashville, he's like, let me get a, what was it, a 65 Fender with a shake on it and a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> and then Marty had no clue what he was talking about. So we I don't to, know what he's <laughs> So he said he like <laughs> he said he hung up the phone. He's like, I got you, Pops. He hung it up and then he asked he called he's Mavis. Like, oh, shit. He's like, Mavis, what does that mean? He's like, Oh, he wants a fender amp with a tremolo effect and a Like and I'm a limo. too embarrassed to ask. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Gotcha. <laughs> oh, with a shake on it? Absolutely. No prob. Done. And uh, Leroy Croom was Sam Cook's guitarist. Aww. He said people used to call it Pop Staples and his nervous guitar. I saw that quote too, yeah, and, and I, I didn't like know where to put it, but I love that too because it's a little shaky. Yeah. And uh, Greg Cott, he uh, wrote a book about the Staples singers. Ooh, he said his style created an atmosphere that was immediately distinctive a hypnotic swirl of reverb. It was tremolo. 
Yeah. But <laughs> reverb, repetition, and riff. Chords were implied as much as articulated. Notes were blurred. Tones and overtones were carefully layered like the bricks Pops used to cement into place at his construction jobs. It's a really cool quote. Yeah. Um, it's kind of drawing that parallel between... Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so that was that was pretty much what I have for uh, quotes we, about his yeah, guitar. Yeah, and if anything, I mean, if anything pops in your brain while I'm talking about it. Yeah, it's a really cool. It's a really cool guitar sound. It's rooted in the blues. There's a lot of like triads and like guitar fills and and stuff like that. And it it's really expressive. And it, I wouldn't say it's like masterful in terms of his technique, but it's it creates a really incredible atmosphere and yeah, vibe style. All right. Pops' first name is Roebuck. He's R-O-E-B-U-C-K. Roebuck Staples is born to Warren and Florence Staples on December 28, 1914, on a cotton plantation near Winona, Mississippi, which in his own words, he says, is about 100 miles south of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, him and his older brother Sears were named after the Chicago Mail Order Company that supplied millions of rural Americans Sears with everything, everything from washing machines to musical instruments. Oh wow! Yeah, isn't that great? That's so such he a is funny like way to name your kid. Yeah. That'd be like, oh, ours is Amazon and Prime. I mean, it's I don't think what? it was as <laughs> as like you know Jeff Bezosy back then or um, but uh, let's see. So he's the seventh son. And the youngest of 14 children. Nice. And his That's a lucky number. Seventh son. Um, and his mother passed away when he was about five. And he said that his father was a Methodist and a good church-going man. So he grew up in the church. Um, so he attends the same grammar school as... And I'm, I don't know if the C is hard in this name. Uh, it's either Osceola or Ociola. I think it's Osceola. Where? And they're, they're eventually going to marry in 1933. And she's the matriarch of the... Stable singer. So they met, they meet when they're children, which I think was really cute. Um, he drops out of school after eighth grade. And as a teenager, he makes money participating in local boxing contests. Yeah, I saw that. You I thought saw it was that? so cool. And like, <laughs> it reminded me, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything, but I, no. saw, I watched a, uh, I watched an interview with Purvis Staples, one of his sons, yeah. who is also part of the early Staples singers. Yeah. And uh, Mavis. And they were talking about how. Um, when they were, I think, oh God, where was it? Um, I can't remember exactly where, where it was, but they were like on tour, you know, riding around in their oh, car yeah. or whatever. And, uh, they're getting a fill up and then they, you know, encounter some typical racism of the day. Oh yeah. And apparently Pops just beat this guy oh! up. <laughs> like <laughs> beat this guy yes. up. And they, uh, got back in the car and drove off and they all got pulled over and arrested because oh, no. the guy who got beaten up said that you know a bunch of people robbed him oh, and of course of they course had all their show bullshit. money in their little cigar box so they got they got arrested and then uh, one of the cops who saw them there was like my wife loves you guys there and, we go uh, nice they were released and he says next time they played a show there half the police force was there <laughs> oh well that turned yeah. into a nicer story yeah. than i thought it would but apparently uh, and then I, w I thought oh pops uh, had some hands i guess and, yeah uh, yeah it turns out he used to to box a little bit he, he wasn't was messing around yeah he used to box but he was Getting some interest in other things. I guess his um, when it, his older brother David played guitar, even though quote unquote sec secular music was forbidden in his family. Yeah, and guitar was associated with the devil's music. Yeah, it oh, was well, strictly prohibited in the church. Back he in the day. he talks about it a little bit, and I'll get into it in a in a sec. But um, uh, so yeah, so he starts uh 
playing guitar. Um, sorry. Uh, so when he's 14, he starts, he sees a, a Stella. I'm assuming this is an acoustic guitar or a classical guitar because um, later in 1950, he gets his first electric. So I know this isn't an electric yeah. guitar that he gets. So he sees it uh, hanging in a store window and he pays 50 cents a week towards it. And um, when his work was done at the end of the day, he'd grab his guitar and take it to bed and he'd play under the covers as long as no. his father would allow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an Stella. acoustic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful guitar. I'm looking at some pictures of it. It just looks like your typical blues guitar there. Looks like a Robert Johnson. Oh, yeah, it looks like, yeah. Kind of guitar. Let's see. Um, so, yeah, so at the time, like you just said, the guitar was associated with the devil's music and forbidden in churches. And remember, he's growing up in churches. And he says, I listened to this, uh, any quote I'm giving from him is probably from this uh, org Staples interview from 1963 that I listened to. And, and it's um, typed out as well. Um, he says, I always liked spiritual music the best when they ask him. They say, oh, what's your favorite type? And he like spiritual music. Um, and he also says, uh, the guitars haven't been too long accepted in the church. I kind of broke in the guitar on the gospel music. Um, so at 18, he marries 16-year-old Osceola Ware. And they have a daughter, Cleotha, and a son, Purvis, um, born in Mississippi. And then they yeah, don't. That's really where it was, by the way, Mississippi, where the, yeah. the gas station was that right. I was talking about. Oh yeah, I was gonna yeah. say that's where he's from, right? Yeah. Um, so two of his, two of the kids are born there, um, and then they move up to Chicago in 1935 when he's 21. Um, and in this interview, they're asked, you know, in 1935 when you were back in the Delta, did you hear any musicians that you were really impressed with? And he says, Oh yeah, I was impressed by mostly the old blues singers, Blind Lemon Johnson, Charlie Patton, Robert Johnson, and Helen Wolf was a young man. Um, Charlie Patton and I, we stayed on the same plantation. Charlie would play at the breakdown Saturday night suppers. Imagine having that group of musicians that As you just community. walked around and like played with. It's insane. Um, Sunhouse was there too. Sunhouse he didn't too, mention yeah. him there, but Sunhouse was there too. Yeah, I read that as well. It's a Delta Blues. It's funny because they ask him, uh, they're like, what was, what was, this is 1963, by the way, but they're like, what, what, what was Howlin' Wolf's real name? And he's like, I don't, nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay i love that um let's see um so when he's so in the 30s when they moved to chicago um he puts down the guitar for uh, about a dozen or so years while he's working in slaughterhouses and other jobs um uh, his wife is working as well and gives birth to two more daughters yvonne and mavis um, so he's put down the guitar for over a decade but he's still singing in local churches and he also has a gig singing in chicago with a group called the Trumpet Jubilees, um, who I think are playing in churches as well. Um, so now we'll talk about the beginning of the Staples Singers. Um, so here's a quote from him. I'll never forget one day that there was so much snow, all we could do was sit around the fire. I took the kids and started harmonizing. I picked this string, give that in the key, get us in the key, and then I'd let them all, I tell them all to come in on a hum, and that's the way it got started. This was around 1945. So, Aww. isn't that cute to picture that? Yeah. There's nothing else to do. It's 1945. They just <laughs> There's no, you know. <laughs> and they it's just, snowing. Yeah, it's snowing. They got a fire going. And he's like, you know, I can just picture him like, you do this with the piano when we're learning harmonies. It's like, you play this note, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And, you know, so they're saying he's strumming a, strumming a guitar part. And then he's, and apparently, um, uh, I don't think I wrote what song it was that they were working on. Somebody, somebody tried to guess it, but 
Anyway, all right. So in that, so that Wait, was around. I remember them saying, yeah. "Will the circle be unbroken?" Thank you. That I was, was like, I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. yeah, that's the first like the kids. That's their first memory of like learning a song. Will the circle? Yeah. And uh, they used to apparently sit in a circle and sing together. And like that's Aww. how they sang, was literally in a circle. Love it. Yeah. So in 1948, um, him and his wife, Osceola, formed the Staple Singers to sing as a gospel group in local churches with their kids. Um, in 1950, he buys his first electric guitar, an amp, and the tremolo effect that would help define his sound. Um, so now I have a quote from him about the Staple Singers. So we got our first job at a church. I sang at my brother's church, Sears Staples. He was the pastor. One of my oldest sisters asked me to come up and sing a couple of numbers. When we got there and sang, they wouldn't let us stop. They liked it so well. The old minister there, Lathan, he said, I want your children at my church next Sunday. Went from there to his church to other churches. It's kind of a long quote. I cut it down a little bit, but he's like, we went to this church, this church, and like soon, um, uh, till somebody else's recording company heard of us, and then they wanted to record us. So they really did the rounds yeah singing in different churches um and people were just like, like they oh would my sometimes gosh. play like three services a day yeah apparently is what i saw and um yeah pops used to carry uh carry you know the guitar bring the kids with him right. and carry a gun on him too in case i saw that to get feisty <laughs> yeah i saw that um so the first uh the first label that they stayed with for two years that first recorded them is called united mm. um so in 1953, uh, Pops had the newly named Staples Singers. Staples. So the, their last name is Staples with an S at the end, but yeah. they're the Staples Singers, right? Yeah. Um, record a single to sell at shows. A Chicago label, United Records, signs them. It's their first record label. Um, first couple songs I do, Won't You Sit Down, Sit Down Servant. Um, and then This May Be The Last Time, which is later covered by the Rolling Stones as, quote unquote, the last time. Um, so those are cut, but not released until a year later under another label. United wanted the band to move into a more rock and roll or blues direction and for Mavis to sing the blues. They thought, they're like, this is how we're going to make money. If we do the blues, rock and roll, and have Mavis sing, we're going to make all this money. Um, and Pop said no. He didn't want them to move into blues. He wanted to stick no. with gospel. Yeah, he did not want to so do that. So I, I have a quote from him and a quote from Mavis. Uh, so his quote, you can get consolation in singing gospel. I get more consolation. I can't get the consolation now singing the blues because I don't have those problems. I don't have those problems that a blues singer would have. I have a problem now. I depend more upon the supreme being. See, and I can talk to him. I can sing that. That, I get a consolation out of that, like I used to do with the blues. And then Mavis says... I didn't want to do it in the first place. I would have said it, but my daddy beat me to it. But I would have told the man the same thing because I didn't want to sing the blues. I didn't know anything about singing blues. I had been brought up in the church. I would have been lost in that field because I just enjoy singing spirituals. I'm just that close to God. And I cut her um, quote just a little bit because it's long too. But yeah. um, So what, what I love about that though is that they're just like, no, that wouldn't be like sincere. Or authentic, yeah. Yeah, they, like, they didn't they're like, you'll make more money. And they're like, no, we're, we're going to do gospel because that's what we want to do. Yeah, it seems like they're doing pretty well. And, I mean, the thing is, is, like, it's so funny now because the difference between blues and gospel to us today, like, if you were to talk to a random 14-year-old and you're like, what's yeah. the difference between blues and gospel? Who They might not even know. Like, if you yeah. played a blues song and a gospel song, they might not even know. Yeah. Um, one of the people who's famous for kind of turning the blues into go uh sorry turning gospel into rock and roll and blues is um Ray Charles and, and uh, um sister Rosetta Tharp right yeah her too but i think ray was really the guy who they 
they think like Pops is a big fan of Ray Charles. He talks about him. Yeah, a lot. he married <laughs> he married gospel music and uh, blue and uh, I wouldn't say blues as much as like rock and roll and like yeah more up tempo kind yeah. of stuff. And that's it's famous in the Ray movie where they're like, "You gotta turn that off. He's <laughs> playing rock. He's playing that in a rock Blast and roll style. It's He's devil's playing music. It like the devil's music." Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> and um, what I'm trying to say about blues and gospel is. These genres were so close, like whether you're talking about country or blues or gospel, they're all right there in yeah. the same, you know, they're in the same vein. They're just so slightly different. Yeah. And um, back in the day, it's so funny to think that people are like putting their foot down like, because now we can go back and forth between genres in a, a single record or even a single song. Yeah. And um it's like being like, I don't play pop punk. I well, just he, play punk. Well, everything's punk. a little more like, fused now. But I mean, he grew up with the guys, you know, um, Charlie Patton and all those real blues guys. So I think he was very much sensitive of the fact of like, no, 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 what we're doing isn't blues. And we're not just going to change our yeah. style because of that. And he actually, he likens, he talks a lot about uh, how gospel is more similar to folk music to him than to blues. Well, there are um, very clear, um, you know, lyrical differences between them like the blues is a lot about sinning like the blues is a lot about about like my you know he talks about you know you know guys are singing about their pain and their heartache and their problems and he says folk and gospel are more about obviously like the higher spirit people right but then also like you know if you think about folk and i guess even americana music it's sort of like more storytelling of like uh uh, life itself and, and community and people. It's not like this solo thing. Like yeah. I'm feeling this. It's more like we all, you know, that's yeah. more folk. That's more gospel. But I think also blues. I, I think when we think of the term like drug, sex and rock and roll, like that kind of thing, yeah. I think that began with the blues. Where, oh yeah. They were definitely singing yeah, about so drinking. They, so when they're like, and, yeah. we don't want to sing the blues. I think they mean like, we don't want to sing about, sex drugs well and maybe said and it. she said i don't i don't know anything about that field i don't i don't know yeah. how to sing the blues i'm and i think that's part of thing. it i think that's yeah. part of it is the subject matter is drastically different between part gospel and blues i mean the sound is they could they could easily slip between the two the way that especially the way pops plays guitar yeah but the fact that they didn't want to sing that subject matter i think is like the over overarching like reason why they didn't go and they direction. they leave that label they they stick with united for two years See uh those two songs I mentioned, you sit down, sit down servant doesn't, doesn't become a hit. It doesn't work. And, uh, he goes back to work. Um, but they still are playing churches every week and they start bringing, he starts bringing the guitar into churches and that was previously banned. Like they didn't let the, again, it's the devil's music. So he's already kind of bringing that into churches in a very, I think sort of important way, which is so cool. Um, so let's see. So in 1955, the Staple Singers are finally signed by VJ Records, who later uh, distribute the Beatles records in America when Capital refuses to. Oh, Capital! What are you doing? Capital's like, nope. Anyway, uh, oh, Capital. <laughs> so after a couple of false starts, they release the haunting "Uncloudy Day," and it becomes their first hit, um, at least by gospel uh, nice. standards. And then they start touring. Um, real quick, I'll jump. Bob Dylan has a quote about Uncloudy Day. That's a um, he says. So before you quote the Bob Dylan, the reason why Bob Dylan there'll be more Bob Dylan. Don't you so worry. So the reason why Bob Dylan is even aware of the Staple Singers is during this time, 
there was like a, a, a obviously the folk movement was right. happening and there and there was also this renaissance of blues music that came with this folk wave yeah and obviously i just went over you know five minutes about how they're not blues singers but i think they were kind of put in that category and as he like, don't get me wrong they he, they they all love the blues he loves blues all yeah. that stuff but they're, they're trying not the to blues. it's like if i'm trying to think like if we were miss genre and we respected the genre we'd be like oh we're not really this genre yeah. because you know yeah, but the reason we want to respect the people in that genre, they caught that wave, that that wave, the folk wave, yeah, that throwback blues wave. I think they, it's like a, it's like a revival of music, yeah, and um, all the, and it's like the same as when we went over um, when they were tra- kind of rediscovering all those old blues guys. Yeah, they kind of were in that same wave as as that, and that's why they're on Bob Dylan's radar. And they'll get so he has so while we're talking about on Cloudy Day, Bob Dylan said of this. It was the most mysterious thing I'd ever heard. I'd think about them even at my school desk. Mavis looked to be about the same age as me in her picture. Her singing her singing just knocked me out. And Mavis was a great singer, deep and mysterious. And even at the young age, I felt that life itself was a mystery. Aww. So he was very influenced by them. Um, let's he see. So loves Mavis. He does. He proposes he to her at some point. Um, so they... <laughs> which is... Yeah. Uh, so they release on Cloudy Day and it becomes their, their big hit. So they start touring. Um, let's see. Uh, they were playing church. They were touring a lot of churches. It sounds like in the beginning, like they were still playing a lot of churches. Um, and then just doing, uh, like doing day services at churches and then also, um, doing, uh, regular venues. It sounds like, which is kind of cool. Tons and tons. So in the sixties, yeah. In the sixties, the stable singers moved to, uh, this is somebody's name. Oren keep news, jazz and folk label Riverside, records okay um so it it does talk about just like what you were saying the group starts to fit into the sort of folk music revolution in the 60s Mm -hmm. um they meet bob dylan many times uh at certain at the same kind of festivals um and let's see they actually record oh yeah they there's this is a quote that i couldn't find any more information on um from the article by our good friend michael ross um the fledgling legend was a huge fan to the point of asking Mavis to marry him. And that's all we have about Bob Dylan proposing to Mavis Staples for now. Uh, they recorded actually Blowing in the Wind uh, before Dylan's version actually was released, which is interesting. That is, that is interesting. Yeah. Because Dylan I, wrote that, right? So exactly. Of, oh, of course. How did they catch and, wind and I won't jump Blowing t- in the Wind? I won't jump too ahead, but uh, the album that were the posthumous album that this whole thing rolled on, uh, Pops Staples don't lose this uh the last track on that is a bob dylan cover mm-hmm. so he's also a fan of bob dylan which yeah. is kind of nice so they, they had i think a, a friendship and a mutual respect um so again you know pops talked about uh how he thought that gospel music and folk music sort of had a, a common intersection they were they were sort of in a similar vein so they, they embraced this sort of folk you know the 60s there was a folk revolution and they were part of that and they were they were happy with that. Um, so let's see. Um, they ended up meeting Martin Luther King Jr. at some point. Yeah, that was, um, a, that was a big moment yeah. for, for Pops and his songwriting. Yeah, and uh, that inspires him to record uh, songs reflecting the civil rights and anti-war movements uh, on their record, This Land. All right, so in 1965, uh, the Staples signed with Epic, 
uh, and recorded with producer Billy Sherrill. Um, let's see. And that year uh, also brought um, the famous Selma to Montgomery Civil Rights March. Um, Pop Staples, uh, upset by the image. This is a quote from the from the article by Michael Ross. Um, Pops Staples, upset by the images of clubs, dogs, and tear gas, was moved to write his iconic song, Freedom Highway. And they perform it in Chicago's New Nazareth Church. Um, and by the end of that concert, the Staples singers had to find the meeting place of the African-American church and the American Civil Rights Movement. So they are devastated by the death of their friend and hero, Martin Luther King Jr., in April 1968. But by that July, uh, they are signing with Stax Records. Is this uh, before or after Respect Yourself? Before. Okay. So Stax, I think, is where they're okay. really going to start. And, and like, we're going to learn down the line, but they've played with, like, the who's who of famous, like, instrumental groups. Yes, and it's about to be one of the big ones. Yeah, one of the big ones. One of the big ones. Um, so they signed with Stax Records. Um, Al Bell and Steve Cropper helped them sort of continue this gospel-infused pop Booker music. Booker T and the MGs. Right? Yes. Or, or so, uh, so Muscle Shoals. So Bell, Al Bell, produced the staple singers in Muscle Shoals. Um, and they have their first crossover hit, Heavy Makes You Happy, Shana Boom Boom. But it was their next one, Respect Yourself, um, that sort of really hit and made them stars. And that hit the pop charts at number 12. Yeah, and that one was like a big like civil rights like song, too, or a, a, yeah. a source of pride for the black exactly. community. Exactly. So their biggest, yeah, their biggest kind of commercial success is in the 70s. So Respect Yourself, 1971, I'll Take You There, which is probably the the one that I think most of us probably Everyone think of. Yeah. That. I'll take um, you there. 1974, and then Let's Do It Again, 1976. So the weird thing in Muscle Shoals, and you know this, uh, Pops was not permitted to play guitar. Very frustrating. Because um, though the Swampers, again, this is the quote by Michael Ross, though the Swampers had utmost respect for his sound, his style was too idiosyncratic to fit into their well-oiled music they machine. They respected him so much, they didn't let him play. They're so <laughs> It's like, sorry, there's this meme going around from... Um, <laughs> Bridgerton, uh, which Amber and I watched. Um, of course. And it, of course. I but mean, of course. Whatever. I'm watching literally everything because there's nothing else to do. But uh, there's a part where uh, the main guy, uh, the Duke, is like, I can't remember what he says exactly, but he's like, it is because I respect you too much that I cannot marry you. And so there's, <laughs> there's all these memes of like, anyway, of, <laughs> of like getting turned down. But it's like, what? It's like, we respect you too much, so we can't let you Pops record on the guitar playing. <laughs> The Swampers are the Duke. Yeah, the Swampers are the Duke. They're like, we just, you know. Yeah, they also. Doesn't fit. Yeah, they, dude, I mean, the Swampers are are legendary, legendary players. Yeah. But it is such a shame that they couldn't just figure it out um, to get to get Pops in there. But I think Ed Hinton is the guitar player. I might be wrong about his name. Eddie Hinton. Eddie Hinton, yeah. Uh, and so, Jimmy Johnson and do guitar. And I'll take you there. She, yeah. she says uh, something like, like, play it, daddy, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it, it's not. And it, yeah. it, it alludes that it's Pops, but right. it's not. It, it's Well, and they say, they kind of, they're like, oh, you know, we, they say the spirit of Pops sound remains in Barry Beckett's spooky electric piano. 
and the solfa guitars of Jimmy Jim. And so they're like, we're honoring his sound, but we're just, I, it, it seems almost clicky. Like they're like, we can't, you know, we're such a, what, like they said, well-oiled machine that we can't let pops try to, we can't collaborate. But if you can't collaborate, that kind of means that, I don't know. I'm not yeah. talking shit about the Swampers. That would we'd be no, so canceled. No, you can't talk shit about I'm the not. I'm just yeah. saying. I but wish. I wish they tried to collaborate. It's with a little them. frustrating. They're just yeah. like you're not allowed to play but guitar. That, that all that being said, the most favorite, the most famous Staples singer song. I'll take you there. Is I'll take you there. Yeah, that hits the Swampers. That hits number one on pop and R and B. All right, I'll charts. throw a little shade on the Swampers. Do it. <laughs> I told you this before, and you I kind of blew your mind before it, but uh, I'll Take You There is, I'll say, lifted from Ooh, that's, uh, that's kind. a band, a reggae band called Harry J. All-Stars, The Liquidator. Um, go ahead and pop that into your Spotify. The Liquidator is the song? The Liquidator is the song. Yeah, listen um, to the intro, the intro. The intro And then listen to I'll Take You the There. The chord progression is the same, too, but again, you can't steal a chord progression but the intro is pretty damning yeah it's tough so i mean back in the day everyone was stealing everyone's shit so it's like really tough to tell but <laughs> you told me that and i was like well it wasn't pops it, it was wasn't pops though swampers. it was the swampers if somebody was stealing it was the swampers but it was their biggest hit and then they they also had a bunch of hits after that that was pretty much like i'll take you there part two and three and four <laughs> like yeah they hit that they hit that uh like a stride with so that the harry j all-stars they... are like what the hell man like, what's going on <laughs> we did this shit we didn't get any notoriety yeah if it was nowadays they'd put them in a courtroom and play some robot version for the jury Dude, it and drives then... me up a wall <laughs> it drives me up a wall what's the uh up not uptown funk uh um, it was the one that was really, uh, oh golly. Oh, uh, the, the sort of date rapey song. Yeah. It's what like, is that? Uh, I, I keep my brain. Is still... girl. I know yeah. you want it. I know you want it. What the fuck <sighs> is it? Oh, blurred lines. Yeah. Blurred lines. It blurred lines. Blurred, ripping off. It, it aggravates me so much because the reason they were able to convince the jury about that song was all due to the baseline. And the baseline is just simply not the same. It is just, yeah. it's, it might well, be they, similar in terms of like feel. That's the what they said too. Like the feels the same. Like it's like, uh, the feels the same. The yeah. vibe is the same, you but it's like, can't. you can't, you, you can't, can't basically, copyright a vibe. basically they tricked a bunch of laymen into saying it's, it's uh, copyright infringement. I, I've always said this when you have like a certain court case that relies on, like the evidence relies on like a very particular science or the evidence relies on music or the mm -hmm. evidence relies on any minute field. Why not get a jury of people in that field? No, I, I think I told you like, this, but it my, my drives me crazy. My boss a couple of years back when I was still at wineries, one of my bosses was on jury for a while and they came back finally and they can finally tell us about the case. Right. And they were like, Oh, it was a, um, what's the word when, doctors fuck up uh, uh medical malpractice yeah medical malpractice and it was basically like i won't get into it because it's super cringy but somebody was quote-unquote put under for surgery but they could they, they weren't under Ugh. yeah super scary right but so she said that like weeks of it was like doctor like professionals of the field coming in and trying to explain to the jury what certain things meant and what certain yeah. words meant. And so like, they're getting like a two week education on this specific thing and then they go into the court and it's like, maybe we could just 
get toilet, get some actual get quote some unquote doctors, peers get and some doctors yeah get yeah. some get some actual medical people in there and go oh yeah like we as as serve, another doctor like, I think he was we all have to serve you know. anyway anyway we're tangent over I'm Sorry. just saying <laughs> people, people probably don't agree with this at all but like, people are like this I'm is like, getting tired, too political I'm tired of like some <laughs> random like music uh, lawyer being like this family deserves this money because this baseline's the same and here's an expert telling you the baseline's the same yeah. the expert's like listen up and then a bunch of randos are like oh yeah i can kind of hear it yeah for sure and it's like well show me the well, also didn't, didn't you say they played like a robot version of the songs they didn't actually play no, the song you said. you said they played a robot I swear, is it that one or a different case uh, where they didn't actually play the song they played like a stripped down version anyway there was a rolling stones case oh uh, is that bittersweet what symphony where they like they stole some weird like like string part from a Rolling Stones song to throw in there. It, it, it's something really obscure, like nothing huh. to do with the melody. It was like literally they like took this. They sound. sampled something. Well, something we like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, but then it wasn't even like the actual Rolling Stones. It was like an instrumental like record of the Rolling Stones. But the uh. Rolling Stones still, you know, have a. Sh- Anyway, it's very convoluted, but we're gonna do a whole podcast. It would about be it. fun to do a podcast. On. <laughs> we People could do would some hate court it. People, shit. Would <laughs> People would be like, "This is this is like, boring." We're out. We're out. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the I'll swampers stealing <laughs> becomes number one. Stealing, I'll take you there. Um, in 1976, Martin Scorsese convened a special shooting session of the Staples Singers and the band singing "The Wait." Um, Incredible. So the Staples yeah. covered the song in 1968. So this is almost 10 years later. Um, and okay, so so this article by our best friend Michael Ross for Premier Guitar says that they weren't able to make the actual concert that of the last waltz. Hmm. But Wikipedia says the group appeared in the concert on stage, but their later performance shot on a soundstage was the one that was actually used in the final. That's film. what I've always understood. Is that, that they did play it live, but that's not the one that made the film. But well, let's ask our uncle so Carl. He says oh wait, group, you didn't go. The group was unable to play the concert film for the last waltz. Yeah, Carl, you didn't go. You got offered a ticket <laughs> to see the Carl. last waltz. Oh wait, he turned it down. And you didn't go. Um, Anyway, <laughs> the I was going through uh, in the first couple months of like lockdown, lockdown, you know how we were all going a little insane. I was just going through this weird state <laughs> like phase where I was just watching the last waltz like once a week, <laughs> just like throwing it on and being like, this is making me kind of happy. Like it was it was a weird period of lockdown. Anyway, so I've oh seen it. God. I've seen it many times. But yeah, you can you can tell when you watch it that they're on a sound stage. But it's it's the definitive version of that song. Like it's the best. It's the best. I think it's the highlight of. I would argue, hot take, that it's maybe the highlight of that fucking concert. And there are so many highlights that it's kind of hard to say it's, that it's the highlight of the concert. I'll back you up. I'll back you up. Thank yeah, you. Because you know you've got everyone and their mom playing that thing but i think that and apparently you know that's they use the soundstage version but they also used emmy lou harris's soundstage version and like other soundstage stuff it also and just like has a, fine, i think you know? it also breaks up i don't want to call it monotony of like having the same yeah. audience and the same you know um 
the same lighting and the lighting same and the same camera stage work and, and the the everything. Same. It breaks up the monotony of the whole thing. It does. Like when they have that weird like outro or whatever. Where well, and they oh, and they're playing the all the the different Levon Helms playing like the weird instrument. Yeah, they're playing yeah. all the different instruments. And they're doing the the quote unquote waltz theme that they wrote, right, which is like yeah, the right, right. it's like that weird thing. Um, I honestly, I'm gonna have a real blonde girl moment. I didn't realize that was a soundstage when I first saw it. I was like, oh, I think I, I, this is a long time ago. I'm like a young person. And I was just like, oh, like this. <laughs> I was fooled. I just admit it. I was like, I was like, oh, they're just not showing the audience. Like, this is fine. Like, I just didn't notice. And then I was like, oh, duh. Of yeah. course it's just, anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's I me mean, admitting. It looks like they're know. on a podium and stuff. Well, like, I, mean, I mean, they're like, in the same spot. Like, they're in the same <laughs> places. Like, but it's not. You're, I think you get so wrapped up in it. Now I'm just making an excuse for myself. I think you get so wrapped up in it because it's such an incredible performance yeah. that I'm just like, I didn't even notice that it was like out of place. You know? Yeah. When was the last waltz again? We did a whole episode about the last waltz, by the way, if you want to go back and check it out. Yeah. So we did a whole episode on that. I thought it was one of our better episodes, to be honest. And uh, yeah. So yeah, if you're curious about the last waltz, we did an entire episode dedicated About how to they it. serve a whole Thanksgiving dinner before. Yeah. It's pretty oh, nuts. That's incredible. Carl, yeah. you missed out. <laughs> our uncle Carl got well we'll tell you all about it on that, that podcast yeah. we give him a lot of shit about it love you Carl <laughs> uh, let's see um, so okay so and then they sort of you know um, Michael wraps up his article with saying the, the late 70s a lot of these kind of more folk bands start to struggle with the rise of disco yeah disco really fucked a lot of disco shit up disco just ruins everything um, not that I don't love some disco. There's some great disco out there. Um, but so Mavis leaves for a solo career in the 1980s and mm. arguably becomes even more famous than the Staples singers. Like she's yeah. she's got a great career of her own. Um, and then Pop Staples, instead of just being like, you know what, I'm going to just chill and enjoy, you know, retirement. He starts a solo career of his own. Um, so he plays in at blues festivals. Um and but he refuses to play the blues exactly. at the blues This is from straight out of the fucking <laughs> copy-paste from the Wikipedia. Pop Staples began a solo career appearing at international blues festivals, though steadfastly refusing to sing the blues. Over the course of his career, he was nominated for three Grammy Awards, winning the 1995 Best Contemporary Blues Album Grammy for Father, Father. That's one of his records. Yeah, it's a good record. Uh, he has three... Oh, shit. He has three, I think, including Don't Lose This, he has three solo records, I think. Um, and Father Father is the one that gets the Grammy. Remember when the Grammys kind of, you know, mattered? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's they, they definitely matter, but it, it's, it's. I just don't feel tough. like they're very inclusive. I feel like it's. It's all about what sells. And then they try to throw some bones out there. Like they try to throw like some of the underground acts a bone, like the best contemporary blues record. And they try to do well, that. Well, that was in the 90s. I think back when it was not just, you know, it wasn't who has the most plays on Spotify and the most Instagram followers. Like it was like people listening and going, okay, this is the best. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get off this fucking yeah. soapbox because yeah. I have nothing to back we me up on We just sound it. so bitter right now. I'm like, the Grammys are stupid. Um, I'd love to win one but damn it so he does pass away in 2000 uh, after suffering and a uh, fatal concussion when he falls at his home yeah. uh just nine days before his 86th birthday before he dies um he asked mavis to play him the unfinished tracks um that he records that ends up being um don't lose this uh when they are finished listening he asks his daughter please don't lose this 
Um, and that becomes the album's title. And then I have, I'm going to end my little spiel here with a quote by Mavis Staples and then we'll get into this. Don't lose this. So she says, it was meant to be our last work, but my sisters and I decided to let pop sing to let him have this one. One day pops told me Mavis, bring that record up here. I want to hear it. I brought it up to the bedroom and he listened when it was over. Pops told me Mavis, don't lose this here. I said, okay, pops, I won't lose it. And he just smiled. It will, it was a moment I'll never forget. He had this glow after listening to it. He loved it. So I kept it. I always said I was going to get it out there because Pops told me not to lose it. When he said don't lose this, that meant let it be heard. Maybe the staples. All right, so you want to take a little break and refresh take a these little drinkies and yeah. come back? All right. See you on the other side. And we're back. Oh, and my mic stand is falling down. Um, oh, no. So, <laughs> so I finally got into my laptop. I was f- furiously typing in my password with caps lock on during the last recording. <laughs> um, so his solo, <laughs> so Pop Staples, his solo albums are 1992's Peace to the Neighborhood, 1994's Father Father, which uh, won him the Grammy, and then 2015's posthumous record, Don't Lose This. Yeah, so they were going to record another Staples singer's record yeah i think that's what the mavis quote when she said we'll let pops have this one like he's gonna take all the leads but he just became very unwell this is like 1998 1999 yeah um he became very unwell and couldn't really finish it so they had these tapes and i was trying to figure out where they recorded this original um Mm. these original scratches yeah with his vocals and stuff i couldn't find it um but there's not a lot on it yeah. yeah there's not a lot on it and uh, that uh, that moment happened that you spoke of with Mavis Staples and her dad, where she brought the record up into his room and they listened to it. And uh, he said, "Don't lose this, Mavis." And I think that's like a really sweet moment. Oh, I love it. And um, he passed away very soon after that. And yeah, two thousand. <coughs> in the NPR uh, interview, they were asking Mavis, you know, why didn't why did it take you so long to put this out? Did mm-hmm. you intend to put it out? Like, you know, all that kind of question Mm -hmm. and she said that she did she always intended to put it it was always there it was really like it was almost like a fresh wound um i do i would just break into tears every any time i heard pop's voice on these records there was never a point that we didn't want to release them it was just the timing um i knew that the record needed tweaking so i said who else to help me with this but my friend jeff tweedy well it's almost like you know if you think about it like i was saying before i'm so fascinated with posthumous stuff because it means that somebody loved them so much and cared about their art so much that they were going to take it and bring it back to life and i think she i would guess that she wanted to do it right. You know, she wanted to do it the right way. She wanted to tweak it. She wanted to have somebody, a producer, she needed to find a producer that would do it the right way. And also, like she said, when that wound was too fresh, like when she's too well, emotional yeah, she didn't listening say that. to I it. I kind of picked up on that from But like uh, when, when she's too yeah. emotional listening to it, she can't go, all right, we're going to add this. Like you can't think about yeah. it critically because this is your loved one singing. And like, oh my, like you and I have heard, you know, that, <laughs> we'll get too into it, but that, uh, recording you've played of our uncle, our great uncle Rolf singing yeah, yeah, in the church. Like yeah. I can't even listen to it. It makes me just start just weeping. And it's like, yeah. but you know, objectively it's this gorgeous singing voice. And so like, I think she knew, she knew what she had. She knew she wasn't going to lose it. And she wanted to wait until, until she found the right person to put it together in this like respectful way for pops. And like also sort of be able to sit back and listen to it, add the harmony she needed like and then just kind of craft it up to what it 
like yeah, the, Yvonne, the best that yeah. it could be you know like yeah. let's not let's not throw this out in the world let's craft this so let's jeff, take the time yeah so jeff tweedy never met pops that i know of mm-hmm. and jeff tweedy is the lead singer and the the brain power behind wilco which is yeah. one of the most incredible uh you know americana bands yeah I, I consider them Americana. They've definitely fluctuated genres. They've but, been around forever. And you mm-hmm. know, he started I think with Uncle Tupelo was um I think I think that was his first band. Hmm. And then he started playing uh doing a lot of solo stuff. He played with his son Spencer Tweedy in the band Tweedy, mm-hmm. which was just a one record band. But with playing with his son Spencer Tweedy, he found a drummer that he could really communicate with and Cuz really he play he's guitar He's a guitar player. He plays bass too. He yeah. he um he plays a ton of instruments, but yeah, uh, he he really brought his son Spencer along. So I love the drums in this record. You can just picture them. They sound like the oldest set of drums at like some bars open mic or like a you know what church I mean? or like and a I mean that in the nicest way possible. <laughs> like they have like this really. You've um, all seen this drum set. It's yeah. like a. Th- Four piece. <laughs> the bass drum is so ringing. It's like bong, bong. It sounds like a timpani. Um, and it just gives it this really like snaky, like cool vibe. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a ton of Junior Kimbra, this record. Yeah. And Junior Kimbra is, I guess, famous for being the inspiration behind the Black Keys. So if you ever listen to the Black Keys, do yourself a favor and like go back, listen to Junior Kimbra. Yeah, um, and that's their. They do a whole record of covers of his. Yeah, that's Chulahoma is the record Great that they record, do. Yeah. That is all Junior Kimbrough. They uh, gave all the money to his widow. Yeah, um, and I and I think that Dan Auerbach uh, did that record to show his appreciation for Junior Kimbrough, who he claims like made him want to play guitar. Like he like found a few Jun- Junior Kimbrough records and like played them, and he was like, yeah. Holy crap. Give credit then, where credit is due and, so, and and bring them to the to the spotlight when when yeah. your and music now, is now in now the spotlight. Now Junior Kimbrough you know? has like hundreds of thousands of listeners on Spotify. Oh, he's fantastic. Monthly. So yeah. yeah, this this record reminds me a lot and like you can just hear the juke joint in those drums and it, it's like it's such a cool vibe. So and that's Jeff Tweedy's son. Yeah. on the Je- on yeah, Don't Spencer Lose Tweedy. Yeah. So uh, Jeff Tweedy met Mavis Staples. I th- I think it was sometime before he started producing her. I believe he, the first one he produced for her was 2010. You are not alone. Yeah. The uh, solo record. And then also the next one, One True Vine. And it's very possible. 2013, One True Vine. It's very possible that he's recorded other records uh, for her since then. Um, oh man, living on a high note actually is produced by M. Ward. Holy so, shit, Mavis Staples. <laughs> I was just kind of uh, yeah, it looks like it. I mean, we, we could get more into this, but I, I had not prepared for that kind of plot twist. I didn't know M. Ward. Jeff did Tweedy tw- uh, produced "If think? All I Was Was Black" by Mavis Staples. Um, what year is that? That's 2017. Okay, so that's after the. And then we get by um, is 2019 by Mavis Staples, and that is produced by Ben Harper. So Ben Harper. So Jeff Tweedy huh. does do a lot of producing, and they're really good friends. My buddy so, Curtis I was just visiting with, he's reading a Jeff uh, Tweedy biography, which he says is great. I'm not much of a reader, so I haven't read it. You but, know what uh, you should do, Stu? I have, I'm a big reader. In the pandemic, I've not been a reader yeah. because I can't sit still. But audiobooks, they're mm. just like podcasts. Just saying. 
Yeah. I, the problem with that is I lose focus so quickly, and then I yeah. realize, like, oh, I was zoning out for an entire paragraph. What the heck is going on? I'm I trying remember, to get. I'm <laughs> trying remember, to get. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I remember one time I was like <laughs> driving to Santa Barbara with a group of people way before the pandemic, and uh, we just get on like 680. It's like six hours to go. Yeah. And my buddy just throws on an audiobook, and everyone's just sitting in silence like, listening to this audiobook, and I'm like. What the fuck are we doing? No, here? that's I'm like, weird. I'm that's like, come weird. on, guys. Are we really going to listen to an audiobook no, for we, six hours? That's a road car? trip where you want to put on like you just want fucking seventies like, rock and like chill and like road trip so and hard. chat and talk shit and like have moments of silence. But like, no, there there's certain there's certain road trips like where you put on podcasts. You know, yeah. like you and me would probably listen to a podcast or like me and mom listen to podcasts or you just chat. You know, if yeah. it's a group of people, listen to a podcast. That's it was weird. it was so silly. Yeah. Um, but he met uh, Mavis Mavis Staples, and apparently she he just says she's like the nicest lady of all time. Of and, course, yeah. And um, yeah, she calls him Tweety. It's like a it's like a really cute relationship. I watched this video. Um, you can find it on I think it's right there on Pop Staples website about Staples. It's like a fi- yeah, it's like a five minute video. I have it right here. I, we obviously yeah, we won't yeah, play it's it. It's like but a five yeah. minute video just about the making of this record, and it's very you know very short. But it shows Jeff Tweedy and Mavis and whoever the interviewer is like in the studio talking about it and talking about Pops. So it sounds like, really so cool. Mavis did, she did two records with Jeff Tweedy that Three. were whole, so, sorry, before. At, at the time she had done two. Sorry, she did a 2010 and a 2013 before Don't before Lose Pops, It. So it sounds yeah. like she did two records with Jeff and was like, I think this is the guy that yeah. can do the Pops record. So, so what Jeff Tweedy did is he took all these tapes and... These were full sessions. These were drums, bass, singing. It was everything. Wow. They were full sessions. Recorded in before 2000. So like 1998. was the recording session. So dumb question real quick for all the uh, non-audio engineer-ish people. In 1998, if they did a studio session, even if they played it live, would all those tracks be separate? Drums would be separate than bass. So could you take that recording? Yeah, there was multi-track recording. You could cut out. You could cut out the drums. You could cut out. Um, so I th- you might not know this, and I apologize I if I'm putting you on the spot. Hundred percent sure, <laughs> but I think that they had the multi-track recording, so they definitely they could isolate vocals. They had isolated okay. because because that's what it sounds like he's done is added drums, isolated pops vocals. Yeah, we'll get Put into that all that. In. Sorry, I'll. <laughs> so, I'm just like coming from like a not a recording person. What, point what of happened view. is she had all these tapes in her closet just sitting there. All these pop staples, lost staple sa- uh, singers tapes, mm-hmm. and she brought them to Jeff. He played all of them and threw out almost everything but pops vocals and guitars. And the crazy pops thing- is guitar. Him playing guitar, yeah, pops guitars. Yeah. and the crazy thing about it is, um, pops didn't play to a click. These tracks weren't to a click. Huh. So when they recorded to it, they just kind of had to play them, pretend that. It was pops in the room who like couldn't hear them play, and then just try to make sure they were hitting every oh, beat with him. That's and impossible. Every, it's so hard. It, like, it's so hard to do. You have to. I mean, I think pops had pretty good timing, but you also have to fluctuate with his timing. Yeah. So it's not impossible. Like I've like on our first record, we didn't record to a click, and I overdubbed to it, and just had to be like, oh, we kind of sped up a ha- you know a little bit here. or... I you hit this accent a little later or whatever it might be. You have to just kind of become so 
acquainted with the record that you know when a hit it's, is going to be slightly earlier. It's guessing. It's slightly, no, it's not guessing. Well, it's you have to you have to get used to to it. Like, you listen to it a million times. Yeah, you're not going to just be guessing every time. You're going to get acquainted it rem- with it. It reminds me. Last night, um, I'm doing a project with Tom for a cartoon, and I sing a song for the cartoon. And our friend plays a guitar on it, and he sings his own song, and he plays guitar with it. And the tempo is just, you know, it's him and an acoustic guitar. So the tempo starts out a little slow and then it like gets a little faster and then it like changes and then he does some like long things. And so we did it a few times and then he took uh, the vocals out, that guy's vocals out. And then I was trying to do the vocals over this guitar part that was just like, I had to like guess where it was coming in. Yeah. And it's just it's it's feels like it feels like guessing because you're like and obviously with them i'm sure they like listen you, to it obsessively along with his vocals? i sang along with him like three or four times and then we took you know because it's kind of like you need to you need to take the other vocals out and then just sing by yourself to like yeah. hear yourself and so we did that and then i was like because there's a lot of breaks and then he was coming in and i was guessing when he was coming in so it was it was hard it took yeah. us a lot longer than i thought and it was because you know like yeah. you said there's no clip there's it's no hard tempo and you're sort of anyway yeah so so Tweety says basically we isolated Pop's vocal and guitar wherever that was possible Mm -hmm. and built a track from scratch around it by playing bass and drums my son Spencer and I performed a rhythm section almost well live none of these songs are cut to a click track or they're not on some kind of grid you can just go in the computer and make it all work we basically kind of sat and played with Pop's as if he was in the room with us that's awesome which is a cool way to think about it well, um, and they're they're really giving that. It sounds like they're doing it the right way, and yeah. that's pro- that's absolutely why Mavis chose and, them. And yeah. there are some. I think there are some original um, because they have a few guys in here that are credited with being on the record. For example, uh, Tim Austin is credited with some drums. Scott uh, Legion L I G O N on piano. Tom Grady on bass. And uh, I don't, I didn't see Jeff say like, these are my contemporaries who I worked on it with. I saw him saying like me and Spencer a lot Hmm. or Spencer and I, whatever. So I'm not sure who these guys are. I haven't Googled them. Maybe you can do a quick Google. Um, But it seems like maybe some original tracks were kept open. Because if you listen to the drums on Friendship, like compared to somebody was watching, the drums don't sound like the same... uh, drums that I was describing earlier, they don't sound uh, nearly the same as that bass drum, especially. Mm. So, mm. so yeah, it's, it's hard uh, to say. Tom it's Grady on bass. Yeah. Scott. L I G O N on piano. Yeah. And then, yeah, Cleotha Mavis and Yvonne are on the backings yeah. vocals, which I think is cool. Is Purvis? Purvis. Uh, I think away? he wasn't on the, I don't think he, I mean, he might have passed away now, but at the at the time, I don't know because Let I think the staple singer stopped touring with him after a while. Purvis, um, no, he's alive. He's eighty six. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, he's not on this record. But anyway, so all of these songs were written by Pop Staples. All ten songs, except for "Somebody Was Watching" and "Sweet Home." Uh, both by and female writers. Um, Sweet Home was written by Margaret Allison. Mm-hmm. And Somebody Was Watching uh, was written by Brenda Burns, who I tried to do some research on, and there's very she little about cool. her. She there sounds cool. There was great. one like really old track of her um, 
And other than that, I, I haven't been able to find any. So somebody was watching is a pretty, reli- uh, like it's a gospel. Gosh. Yeah. What is, the only track is all come running by Brenda Burns. And it's like, has less plays than radio keys. <laughs> so I was wow. like, who the heck is Brenda Burns? But she wrote a hell of a song. Somebody was watching. And then, um, I think, uh, a lady by a young lady by the name, I think it was Aubrey Sellers. Covers it. Yeah, Aubrey Sellers covers somebody who was watching, but she basically just rips uh, Pop Staples' version of it. And then the last song, Gotta Serve Somebody, is by our friend Bob Dylan. Oh, Bob Dylan. Dylan. Yeah, they yeah. didn't put that. They didn't put that in the... I'm just on the yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah, but no, so he totally. wrote... And he didn't write Will the Circle Be Unbroken either. So this is totally... Yeah, so that's not... Yeah, it says all tracks composed by Pop Staple except for where indicated and it's not really indicated. Yeah, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? <laughs> It, Better none home, of it is the so. What I said earlier was Nobody's a complete fault but lie. Mine. He wrote friendship. No news um, is He good wrote news. no news is good news. Love on my side. I think he wrote the lady's letter. Love on my side. Dude, tell me about no news is good news because I listened to it <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is you know interesting. And then you were like, it's about this, and I was like, oh, it's it a ba- is. It's basically like the pop staples version of our song talking. <laughs> like, it's just about like I don't people, care about your drama. Yeah, people t- talking to him about their drama, and he just could not care. He's like, yeah. why am I the one that you're trying to tell all your drama I think it's, to? I think it's like you need to. I think it's like you, you need to talk to the Lord about it or something. Like, why are you telling me that your marriage is having a hard time, or why are you telling me yeah. that? Like, like he goes through that and like he's like, it's it's, he's like, it's why not important. Do you think I need to be the first? And no, yeah, it's no news, news is good news. news. It's uh, <laughs> it's so groovy. It's so good. Yeah, and that, you know that's a lot of Spencer Tweedy. <laughs> to be honest, like yeah, a lot drums. of it is drums like are doing a lot. the groove is really cool in that song, and it it's also really cool with somebody was watching. Those are definitely the two highlights along with friendship. But um, they're kind of funky. Yeah, they're really groovy. Yeah, and like I said, there's not a whole whole ton on this record, unfortunately. Um, so Jeff Tweedy also says, and this is in the NPR interview. And then if there was some other element, sometimes Pop's guitar wasn't recorded or wasn't right. recorded. They have in to a, fill in the blanks. Yeah, in a way that could be used. So I would do my best to create a guitar track that sounded close enough that Mavis wouldn't get mad at me. Oh, I love <laughs> is that. Is the way he says it. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, there's the end of, I think it's, um, is it Sweet Home? Where where oh, he's like, so oh, good. how was that? And she's like, I think it was pretty good, Daddy. And oh. he was like... Oh, I could I'd, see how I'd she sure like, liked to hear it. She like couldn't listen to these tracks. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad. Like I know that he didn't get to hear this 2015 version of it, but I'm so glad that he got to sit with Mavis in you know 1998 well, and, sweet, hear, and hear them. It's such a sweet moment because they actually captured it when she first heard that because Je- they're playing it. Jeff Tweedy in that video I was talking about. Jeff Tweedy yeah. and Mavis are in the studio with the interviewer and they're. Yeah. They're listening to it, and she starts talking at the end of the song, and he's like, no, you're going to want to hear this, Mavis. And then she listens to it, and she's like, oh, my God, you kept that on? And he's like, you got to keep it in. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And then she looks so happy, and she, like, slaps his knee. Like, Aww. it's so, it's such it's a why cute she, moment. It's why she, I love that, like. Yeah, it's such a cute moment. I love the idea that she found this person that could bring her dad's music yeah. to life. Like I can't I can't even think of like a another example of that. You know, yeah. like that that's so special. Well I'm a huge Jeff Tweedy fan. So I was like Oh yeah. When you told me that Jeff Tweedy produced it or that it was posthumous and then we looked it up and saw that it was Jeff Tweedy, I was like, dude, that's what the heck? Yeah. It's an awesome story. Um 
so then Mavis says about that little moment after the song. She was like, well, it was just so cool we left it on, you know, because it was just me and Pops. Pops wanted my opinion, and I gave it to him. And then that little chuckle, to hear him laugh that and be happy, or to hear him laugh like that and be happy, you know. I'm just so glad we left it. And then Tweety says, 15 years ago, that maybe wouldn't have been left on the record because it would have been just like the talking in between the songs. But over time, it had to be on the record. To me, it yeah. felt like something that was so precious and so showed so much of the relationships the Staples family has. I'm getting a little misty yeah, here. And okay. really, that's all I have is um, it's an incredible record. Uh, it's very stripped down. It's basically just pop Staples guitar and vocals and then Jeff Tweedy and Spencer Tweedy on drums and bass with uh, the staple singers behind them yeah, doing a lot of call and response, a lot of harmony. Yeah. And it's a beautiful record. It's about, um, you know, it's, uh, it's about love and unity and obviously religion plays a big part of it, yeah. but it's just, I mean like pop staples was like just such, such a gentle soul and such a gentle figurehead in music history. He's often forgotten because he was never the loudest in the room or like yeah. the biggest personality in the room or even the biggest personality in the staple singers. Yeah. But he is, he just had an undeniable effect on people and an undeniable effect on, especially when it comes to like that tremolo style guitar playing and that gospel style guitar playing. He's just mm. an undeniable um, giant in the art form. He, and um, it was just fun to learn more about him today. He, uh, I forgot, I can't quote him directly, uh, but I listened to that interview um, with him from 1963, and they're talking about when he's singing in churches, before the Staples Singers, like uh, when he's singing in churches, and the interviewer asks, like, well, how did they pick you as, like, how did you show yourself as the best singer? Like, how did they pick you as, like, the best singer from the gospel choir? And he's like, oh, I, they just, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything special. They just, they just, they do the choosing. It's not my, it's not my decision. Like yeah. he's very humble. Yeah. Very. You know, like clearly they see, oh, this, this person is extremely gifted. Yeah. And, but he was never like, I'm the best singer and I'm going to audition for the solo. Yeah. Like that was absolutely not his, his vibe. He, he was just good. He Don't was fuck just with him, fucking good. <laughs> yeah. But he also carried a little gun. But also carried a gun and beat your ass. So don't yeah. fuck with him. I just, oh, I just love, and you know, the, the thing that struck me about this record, Don't Lose This, is like, it sounds very 2015 and it sounds very timeless in a lot of ways. And the fact that he like wrote this in 1998 or they wrote this in 1998 and like it was brought to life 15 years later and is still like, so relevant and like doing so well it's yeah. like it, that's that's the mark of a of a great songwriter if yeah. you can write things that you can write these songs that are just timeless you know? I, I thought it was so funny i just thought of this point they re they they caught every single americana folk blues renaissance wave there was in history they caught that they first wave in the 60s yep they caught that wave that like Stevie Ray Vaughan caught in the 90s. He won mm. fucking Grammys in the 90s. Yeah. Like, so they caught that wave. And then Mavis Staples caught another wave yep. in 2010 when Americana was making a huge comeback. And she, she was won a like, Grammy. She was like, hold Americana my fucking record. beer. Yeah. They <laughs> this caught, is my shit. They caught every <laughs> resurgence wave. And I just. And they deserve they deserved it. It's like it's like a it's like a Picasso situation. Like he's there at the right time and doing the right things at the right time and everyone is paying attention to what they're doing yeah, because so, it's relevant. Yeah, totally. So but it's also timeless. Like listen to fucking I'll take you there right now and tell yeah, me you're not like oh shit. Like 
especially with the civil rights implication, it's never been more relevant. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go ahead and leave it leave it at that. Um, for Radio Keys News, we're just still writing our record, Getting but close. we are playing a show. We have a real life gig, and there's some reservations available. It's and like a it's reservation only. It's going fast. It's yeah. at Donkey and Goat in Berkeley. It's for. It's March 13th. It's uh, on a Saturday. Wine release. So it'll be a party, as party as party can be in It's going to be, you know, separate tables. Outs it's outside. Um, we've played there before. They're very wonderful. Um, That's uh, That will be March 13th. You can get tickets online. And then I'm playing for free at the 4th Bore in Orinda, California, obviously, uh, on March 6th and March 20th. We'll be there. Yes, and I will be there. Me and Amber will be sitting there <laughs> screaming after every oh song God, you play. No. The only two are going. Aah! Well, you should come up for a set for sure. For That'd sure, I'm I'm always down. All right, well that's pretty much it. So uh, please check us out uh, at radiokeysmusic.com. Please check follow out. us on Spotify. We've got a whole record uh, out. We've got we some have singles. Like a million vinyls sitting in our closet. If you want one, buy it. We'll <laughs> we'll, we'll literally hand deliver it because we got nothing else going on. Unless check you out. live in like. You know, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah then we then we won't hand deliver yeah. it. Um, but yeah, check out Pop Staples. Uh, don't lose this. It's listen to it front to back. It's a great record. Very good record. Yeah. All right. So thanks everyone for listening. Thank uh, you. Again, if you like this, please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review. That helps us with the algorithms. But uh, my name is Stuart. I'm Emily. And we're gonna keep searching for that sweet, sweet soul, soul music. For that sweet